this. Well, I've been looking forward to teaching this week. Last week, Pastor Chuck kicked off our Christmas teaching, and he looked at and asked the story of Peter himself and how Peter was in jail and he was locked up. And here's Peter that uh, had this, I don't know, probably some tension in his life. He had seen Jesus beat death, and he had preached his first sermon. Over 3,000 people got saved. And then Peter finds himself locked up in jail wondering what's going on. And chances are you've had one of those what's going on moments this year, haven't you? We've all had those moments where we're like, what is the deal? What is going on? This is not what I expected it to be. I guarantee you, you know, the question that people ask you often is, where do you see yourself in five years? I guarantee you the people that answered that question in 2015 got their answer wrong, didn't they? Right? It just hasn't, it hasn't turned out the way that we thought it would. Well, what's interesting is Peter goes on to write letters to the early believers. And so today, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to follow along. Or if you have an app, we're also going to have it on the screens today as well. But 1 Peter chapter 1 is a little letter that Peter, the same guy that Pastor Chuck talked about last week that was in jail and finally delivered, he writes this letter to early believers that are going through a similar situation of trying to figure out what is going on. And the thing that they're wrestling with was much more monumental than anything I've been facing and chances are what you've been facing. In fact, when Peter's writing, he's writing to believers that are undergoing extreme persecution. Now, the persecution I'm talking about is not somebody went off on me on Facebook or somebody questioned why I've got, you know, some Christmas thing in my cubicle at work. The kind of persecution they were undergoing was so extreme In fact, most historians believe that Peter wrote this letter in the midst of the rule of a guy named Nero. And many of you maybe know Nero from from history, but Nero was this unbelievably awful ruler of the day. Nero was terrible. Nero killed his wife and he killed his mom. And Nero was just this evil guy that that wanted to persecute those early believers. In fact, uh, a lot of people believe that, that Nero actually burned the city of Rome. So this fire breaks out in AD 64 and the city burned for six days. They couldn't put the fire out. And finally, after six days, they put the fire out. And then a a few days later, it sparks up again and it burns for another three days. And historians believe that the fire was actually started by Nero because Nero wanted to rebuild the city, but the Senate wouldn't let him do it. And so what he decided to do was, well, if I burn it down, then they have no choice than to let us rebuild the city. And so as the city burns, he turns and he blames it on the small group of people known as Christians. And so the Christians of the day were already being persecuted, but now you've got the ruler who is burning down the city and everybody's angry about the city being on fire. And he blames it on the small group of people called Christians, Christ followers. And so they're undergoing extreme persecution. So things went from bad to even worse. Now, here's how evil Nero was, and I don't mean to be too graphic on a Sunday morning, but I think we need to carry the weight of this today. Here's how bad Nero was. Nero would take Christians, and he would take the skins of an animal and put them on the Christians. So he would take an animal that that had been killed, and he'd take the skin and wrap it around these believers, and then he would throw them in a pen with dogs or other animals to rip them apart. Isn't that crazy? In fact, he would 
take some Christians and he would cover them in this pitch-like substance and tie them to a tree and then he would literally light them on fire and use them as living candles for his parties. Do you see how, 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 how dark the season is? I mean, this guy is so evil. This guy is it's so extreme. And in the middle of that persecution, Peter begins to write to them about how do you have hope? I mean, there's a lot of things that we can say today. In fact, I can't wait for you to hear Pastor Chuck's message next week. But today, this message is especially for two groups of people. The first group of people are people that you're going through a tough season right now. And I don't know what that tough season is. You don't need me to define it. You know what it is. Maybe it is some health issue that you've been walking through and you're in the middle of a tough season. For others of you, maybe it's a relationship that's been struggling with a spouse or maybe even a kid where you see them going in a direction that isn't healthy, a direction that scares you. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's a work kind of thing. Maybe, maybe you're underemployed or you're unemployed and you're trying to figure it out. Or maybe you're single and you're trying to figure out what, what, what does this look like? This isn't where I... So the first group of people that this message is for is for people that are going through a hard time right now. But it's also for a second group of people. It's for a, a group of people that are about to go through a tough time. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but everybody is either going through a trial, they've been out of a trial, or they are going into a trial. And I think that's so true. And so today, what I want to do is I just want to walk through 1 Peter 1 and give you what I would consider four reminders in the middle of this. This, is, this isn't... Uh, uh, this isn't fancy, this isn't uh, into the, the nitty gritty. This is if I could sit down with you at coffee this week and go over to Rushing and just say, hey, tell me what's going on and could I give you some encouragement today? These are four reminders I'd love to be able to sit across the table and give every single one of you. So everyone in the room, man, I, I hope these four things will, will encourage you. If you're watching online or watching the replay, I hope these four things would be things that remind you. And the first one is this. If you're a note taker, I'd invite you to write these down. But reminder number one is this is not your home. This is not your home. This is not your home. I think one of the things that throws a lot of people off when they go through a tough season, one of the things that throws a lot of people off when they're, they're going through extreme persecution, one of the things that throw people off when they face hard things in their life is if they're not careful, they'll assume that this life ought to be easy, that this earth is our home. But listen to what Peter says as he's writing to these early believers that are undergoing extreme persecution. Here's what he says to them in 1 Peter 1, verse 1. He says, this letter is from Peter. So the same Peter that Pastor Chuck talked about last week. Sometimes when people hear about Peter, they just hear about him mouthing off or shooting from the hip or they, 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 they think about that verse that says that he was uneducated, but uneducated does not mean that he wasn't sharp. Uneducated just means he didn't have the official degree, but he's a sharp guy. When you read this letter, he talks about some really heavy, weighty, uh, powerful truths, but here's what he says. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people. It's like, even in the midst of this, God has a people. Even in the midst of this extreme chaos, God has a called out group. And then here's what he says to God's chosen people. Look at this next phrase, who are living as foreigners. 
And I think that phrase is so important because he doesn't just say it once. In fact, he repeats it in this chapter and he repeats it in other writings. But he says to these people, look, I'm writing you this letter, the called out ones, the people of God, the people that have said yes to Jesus, the people that have said, hey, we're stepping away from our old life into this new life. He's saying, I'm writing to you. And as a reminder, you are living as a foreigner. You're living as a foreigner. That Greek word that is translated living as a foreigner can also be translated as an exile. It could also be translated as the word sojourner. Some translations have it translated as the word aliens or strangers. So when Peter's writing and he says that you are a foreigner, what he's saying is this earth is not your home. This is not your final destination. This earth that you're living on right now is merely a temporary part of your life. See, a foreigner is a but not permanently. A foreigner is someone that says, you know what, I'm actually traveling through. A foreigner is somebody that says, man, I, I'm here for a season. I'm not here permanently. And so in other words, Peter is saying, don't get too comfortable here. Don't get too settled in. His reminder is this is not your home. And I think this is an important reminder. If I could sit with you and just, just give you some encouragement today, I would encourage you to say, this is not our permanent home. This is not our permanent home. If you're a follower of Christ, if you know God personally, if there's ever been a moment you've asked him to step out of heaven and step into your heart like those 12 ladies did last night, what ends up happening is something, something shifts inside of you where you, you may be a citizen of Sugar Hill or you may be a citizen of Nairobi or wherever you're watching from today. You may be a citizen of a zip code temporarily, but you become a permanent citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why I find this so encouraging is because sometimes if we forget that we're not home yet, we'll get really frustrated. But when you realize that there's eternity at stake, when you realize there's a kingdom that's gonna last forever, when you realize there's a future hope and dream that isn't part of this earth, but it's the earth to come, the life to come, what ends up happening when you realize this is not your home, you begin to parent differently. When you realize you're not home yet, you become a spouse differently. When you realize this isn't your home, you, you work with people at work differently. When you realize this isn't your home, you neighbor differently. When you realize this is not the permanent place, it creates this, this urgency to say, while I'm on earth, while I've got this margin, I'm gonna live with intention now. We're not home yet. One of the things I love about the holidays is getting to travel and see family. And, uh, but what I figured out is there's probably about a four or five night limit on how much I can do when I'm traveling. Are y'all with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? And it has nothing, I, I, I love everybody that I get to go see, but I, I just have these flashbacks when I was a kid traveling to my grandmother's house for Christmas. And, it, and it's so funny because every family has their way of doing things, right? Every family has their way of doing things. For, for my family, Christmases, we are always very, very casual. Like this would be considered dressed up for my family's Christmas. And whenever we'd have our Christmas meal, we would always have, uh, you know, the normal stuff, but we'd always have cranberry sauce. And in my opinion, based on how I grew up in Alabama and then later Mississippi, the best cranberry sauce is the cheap stuff that just comes straight out of the can. Is anybody else with me on that? And so when I would go to my, yes, amen, we're going to have revival on Sunday morning. 
And so when we go to my grandmother's house, it was always a little bit frustrating because I would go to the guest room and there was pillows that you weren't actually allowed to use. You'd go into the bathroom and there's towels that you're not actually supposed to dry your hands on. Do you know what I'm talking about? You'd go into the, the, the dining room and there's plates and thimbles. I had no idea what a thimble was as a kid. There's all these plates hanging on the wall, thimbles on the wall. You're not actually supposed to use those. And then I would go to take a shower at grandmother's house and I loved it. She had awesome water pressure, but man, that dial in the shower, like if you moved it just a hair, it went from being freezing cold to, I think I'm gonna die hot. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so I love traveling. I love seeing family. I love being able to hang out. But after four or five nights, I'm like, I am ready to what? I'm ready to go home. There's no place like what? Like home. Well, one of the frustrations that happens for a lot of believers is they act like this is our home. And when you think this is your home, then you try to make life comfortable and you try to invest everything you have in the now. And then when trials come, when persecution come, you get frustrated because if this is home, you think it shouldn't be this way. And Peter's reminder is, no, it shouldn't be this way. And the reason is you're not home yet. So reminder number one, don't get too comfortable. This is not your home. Reminder number two is that we have to, I'm telling you, we have to develop a faith of our own. We absolutely have to have our own personal faith. We have to have our own personal walk with Jesus. So as Peter's writing, I love what he says in verse six. He says, so be truly glad. What, are you kidding me? We're undergoing persecution. We're scattered. People are losing their lives. And he says, no, no, no. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead of you. Remember, this is not your home. There's a future joy that's coming. He says, there's a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Verse seven, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Do you see that phrase? It'll show that your faith is genuine. So if I could hang out with you just for a few minutes and encourage you, this would be part of that encouragement is that you have to develop a faith that's your own. So, so as Peter's writing, he opens up with this reminder of our home is not on this earth and he gives this practical advice. He's saying, man, when you're facing trials and you're facing temptation, there's gonna be moments of pain. There's gonna be moments that are hard. There's gonna be moments when, when, when it feels like maybe this isn't working. And he says in the midst of that, these trials will show that your faith is genuine your faith is genuine. They're going to show that your faith is real. They're going to show that your faith has foundation to it. They're going to show that there's something beneath the surface, some roots that go deep. And so when he says it will show that your faith is genuine, what he seems to indicate is that there is a such thing as faith that isn't genuine or what I call In fact, if you're taking notes, let me describe a couple of faiths that aren't the genuine faith, that if we're not careful, we'll assume, yeah, of course I know Jesus. But one of the versions of fake faith is what I call a borrowed faith, a borrowed faith. This is when some people say, well, of course I know Jesus. I mean, my, my uh, granddad was a deacon in the church and my grandmother used to play the organ in the church. And man, I used to go to church when I was a kid. Uh, my, man, my, my parents, they're great par- prayer warriors. And, and, and when somebody like this describes that, I'm so grateful they have a good heritage and I'm so grateful that they've got roots within their family. But here's the truth, you can't live off of somebody else's faith. You can't live off of somebody else's faith. You have to have your own 
personal walk with Jesus. And if we're not careful, especially here in the South, and I know we've got people watching literally from around the world, so maybe this isn't uh, as big of a thing in your part of the world, but here where we're broadcasting from near Atlanta, this is a danger where there's people that would assume, well, I'm not really a bad person. I grew up going to church and I go to church when it's convenient or I go to church when, when, when things are tough. And of course I know Jesus. I mean, I, 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 I made, you know, I did some things when I was a kid and man, the danger is you could have a fake faith. That's what I call a borrowed faith. And so we need to have a faith that's our own. A second fake faith is what I call circumstantial faith. This is where people will will believe or they'll stay involved as long as things are going their way. When things are going well and everything's working out, then they're sort of dialed in. But the moment that life comes off the hinges and we all have those moments, then they begin to disappear. And that's what I'd call a circumstantial faith. When things are going their way, they're like, awesome, the Lord's blessing me. And then the moment a trial happens and you try to talk to them about trusting Jesus, they're like, how could I ever trust a God that lets trials happen in my life? And that's what I'd call a circumstantial faith. I'm here when it's convenient. I'm gone when it's not. And the third one is what I'd just call a shallow faith. A shallow faith. Jesus himself actually talked about this when he gave the parable where he described the sower who sows seed. And he talks about some of those seeds not taking root, that it would have an initial fruit. There'd be this moment where it looked like it was taking root and then it would fade away. And that's honestly one of the things that, that weighs heavy on my heart is that when somebody comes and they get so fired up in one moment and they start making all these giant promises and then six weeks later, they're nowhere to be found. And that breaks my heart. So as Peter's writing, he gives us these encouragement. He's like, man, number one, this, this is not your home. And number two, you've got to have your own personal faith. And so if you find yourself trying to figure out, is my faith genuine? Do I have that kind of faith? I wanna encourage you to intentionally develop that. Ask yourself, has there ever been a moment that Jesus has been more than a story to me? Has there ever been a moment that I've put my faith and my trust in him? Has there been a moment that you've leaned in hard on him and said, God, I can't do this, but I know that you can. Has that moment happened? And if not, that's where it starts to say, Jesus, I need you to save me. But then if that moment has happened, don't stop there. Keep growing in your faith. And that's one of the things I loved about Julie's video. I had no idea until I saw it a day or two ago that you were going to talk about your small group. And, uh, and before I watched the video, I was going to say that here, that if you want to develop your faith, one of the best ways to do that is to find three or four or six or you know, have whatever number of people you want to do this with, but to meet on a regular basis to say, I want to do life together and I want to dig into God's word together. I think every single adult connected to this church ought to either host a group, ought to lead a group, or at least attend a group because it's in those environments that Man, God uses to grow. I'm so grateful for the hills saying, man, we're going to open, we're going to create this small group and we're going to make it possible for our neighbors and friends to grow in Christ. I'm so grateful for Jen Armstrong a couple weeks ago to be able to celebrate the baptism of Samoa and just to celebrate a group that had been meeting online and met for the first time in person for the baptism. I, I just think that's so amazing. Can you imagine what would happen if in January we got on the other side of the holidays and every single adult in this room and every single adult 
watching online said, you know what? Uh, I, I may not feel ready. I may not feel like I've got it all together, but man, I'm gonna invite three or four or five or six other people to meet once a month in our home or twice a month in our home. And man, we're gonna, we're gonna hit play on the video and right now media, we're gonna discuss it afterward, but I guarantee you, man, your faith is gonna grow. In fact, if that's your heartbeat, drop us a note this week, groups at sugarhillchurch.com, groups at sugarhillchurch.com. We have a digital packet that gives you everything you need to jump in. So reminder number one, this earth is not your home. Reminder number two, you need your own personal walk with Jesus, your own faith. Here's reminder number three, expect trials. I didn't hear any amens on that one. Nobody's going to walk away from day and say, man, that was an awesome message. Bobby said, where to expect trials? Glory. This isn't the point where people get excited, is it? <laughs> but again, it's, it's, this, it's this thought. If, if I were to sit across from the table from you and ask you this question, do you think life ought to be easy or do you think life ought to be hard? And how you answer that question really sets you up for either better success or a lot of disappointment. Because I think there's a lot of people that assume, well, if this is my home and I have my own walk with Jesus, then life ought to be easy. That there shouldn't be any trials, that there shouldn't be any problems. There shouldn't. And so here's why this is so dangerous is because if you believe that life ought to be easy, and if you believe that, that, that walking with Jesus means that there's never going to be any heartache or hurt, you're setting yourself up for a major disappointment. Because Jesus never promised that he was going to take our trials away. Jesus never promised that everything's gonna, hey, if you give your heart to Jesus, everything's gonna work out. You're gonna get a better job. You're gonna have a promotion. Your kids are gonna love you and carbs aren't gonna count anymore, amen? Jesus never said that. He said, take heart for I have overcome the world. And so here's what Peter says. He says, verse six, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though, And so what Peter's saying is there's going to be trials. And what Peter's implying is God's not going to take them away. Peter's saying these trials are for a little while. It's his reminder that yes, in the moment they feel heavy. And yes, in the moment they can feel overwhelming. And yes, in the moment they can feel all consuming. But when you realize we're on this earth temporarily, but we're created for eternity forever, these momentary trials, it's, it's okay to grieve them, but in the middle of those trials, don't forget this, God never wastes a moment of hurt in our life. God whispers to us when things are going well, but I really believe God shouts to us when we're walking through pain, hurt. God can use everything, and sometimes I'm hard-headed enough that if God can't get my attention when things are going well, it's like I know a way that will get your attention. This is one of the way God uses trials in our life. Peter's saying it's gonna happen, but there's good news that God can draw us closer to him. In fact, I'm just, I'm just reminded probably about a month ago, I was talking to a friend here at the church that 
when he described everything that he and his family had been through, it, it's been a difficult year. That, that's, that's saying it lightly. I mean, my buddy had been through a really, really challenging, if, if he were to tell a story, I guarantee you, you would be like, man, that's, that's, that's been a tough year. And yet he had joy in his heart. Yet he was smiling. Yet he was expecting that God was still up to something good. So reminder number one, this isn't your home. Reminder number two, you've got to develop your own personal faith of Jesus. Reminder number three, trials are going to happen. So don't be shocked by them. Don't let them throw you off your game. And here's reminder number four, live intentionally. Live intentionally. I think a lot of times when we are in the middle of trials and uh, when we don't have a deep-rooted faith and, and, and we're not expecting those trials to come, uh, we, we play a passive role in the story that God's writing in our lives. We, we, we just sort of sit back and have this, this fixed mindset that says, well, if it's not going to work out, I guess I'll just do my thing. If it's not going to work out, I guess I'll just coast through life. And here's what I found is we rarely drift towards the life we really want. We rarely drift towards righteousness. We rarely drift towards holiness. Instead, you don't drift there. You don't wake up one morning and say, man, I just stumbled into righteousness. Man, I just stumbled into holiness. Man, I stumbled into a personal walk with Jesus that's vibrant. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by us living with intention. I wish we could read the whole chapter today, but let me show you these, these couple of verses. Look at verse 13. As Peter's writing, he says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. These are our activities. These are action verbs. This is Peter saying, this is something you can do. In the middle of the trials, you're like, man, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. This is all out of control. I can't do this. I can't fix this. Why is this going on? Here's Peter saying, here's what you can do. Prepare your minds for action. Why? Because how we think helps determine the way that we live. Garbage in, garbage out. But man, if we're downloading God's word into our life every single day, something powerful happens. He says, exercise self-control. In other words, delay gratification. In the middle of these moments, don't give in to every temptation. Don't give in to every weakness. Practice or exercise self-control. He says, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come. He's saying there's a present salvation where Jesus changes you from the inside out, but there's a future salvation where we live with him forever. He says in verse 14, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must, here's another action, be holy. You must now be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. And he quotes from the Old Testament book of Leviticus. He says in verse 16, for the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. That sounds difficult, doesn't it? I didn't sleep well last night. Uh, those of y'all that have been a while, around a while know that I had shoulder surgery about seven weeks ago. And this is my first Sunday to not have to wear a sling to church, so I'm excited. <laughs> But I feel like there's probably a target on my shoulder. So if I get smacked, I may be back in the sling. I don't know. But uh, I feel like ever since surgery, I haven't slept well. And so, I, you know, I, I, I went to bed, thought, man, I'm going to sleep through the night. Then I woke up at like 2 and had, you know, just was tossing and turning, tossing and flip-flopping. Are you all like that? I'm a flip-flopper. And so I'm flip-flopping. And then, I, then my alarm goes off at 545 so I can get up and just pray through the message. And, man, when I read this verse this morning, uh, again, it's like, be holy as he's holy. I didn't feel holy when I first read it this morning. I was like, give me two more cups of coffee and then maybe let's talk about it. That word holy means moral excellence. 
That word holy is set apart. That word holy is God is set apart. He's above. He's, he's morally excellent. So that's what we're called to do. And so this idea of living intentionally is a great reminder is that holiness is something that we're declared to be at the moment of salvation, but it's also a daily choice that we make. One of the funny things about my grandmother's towels that you're not supposed to use when I was visiting as a kid is it's like, uh, I think a towel by the sink's meant to get your hands clean. But she didn't want any spot or blemish to happen to those things. What would happen if we lived that way? What would happen if we said, you know what, as best as I can, God, I want to set apart my thoughts today so that I think things that are godly and holy. God, I want to set apart my attitude today. God, I, there, there's going to be moments that want to steal my joy and there's going to be moments where I'm going to want to go off and God, as best as I can, I want to surrender my emotions to you today. Can you imagine what would happen if we said that with our words? God, I'm I'm going to be around people today, and there's going to be a few thousand words that come out of my mouth or dozens of thousands of words for all the ladies in the room that come out of your mouths. I thought it would be funny. It wasn't. Sorry. (laughs) What if we said, God, as best as I can, I want to use my words in a holy way to build people up instead of tear them down? I get it. It would be easy to walk away from today and say, man, that's so hard. But do you remember who's writing this? Who is it? It's Peter. It's the same Peter that multiple times told Jesus, Jesus, I would never leave you. It's the same Peter that looked at all the other disciples and says, these guys, now they may be flighty. These guys, they may walk away. But Jesus, I would never deny you. In fact, Jesus, I would go to the cross for you. It's the same Peter that in the garden when those soldiers showed up and Jesus had already said, not my will, but yours, Lord. Peter's like, no, 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 no. You can pray that, but I'm gonna chop this guy's ear off. And Jesus healed the guy that Peter injured. It's the same Peter that had said, Jesus, I would never deny you. And yet after Jesus is arrested and is going through these days of this trial, Three different times, somebody looks at Peter and says, Peter, I I recognize you. Aren't you one of the followers of this Jesus guy? And Peter's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then a little while later, another person says, but Peter, aren't aren't you that guy? They maybe didn't know his name, but they're like, I I recognize you. You, You've been with this Jesus. And he's like, no, I I don't know what you're saying. And in one of the accounts, it actually describes that there's a little girl that says, no, I know that you're one of his followers. And the Bible says that Peter cursed that person and cursed God and says, I don't know what you're talking about. And in that moment, the Bible says that the rooster crows and one of the accounts says that Peter looked up and there was Jesus looking right at him. Can you imagine that look? Where Peter's feeling defeated. Oh my gosh, I never thought this happened. But I imagine Jesus' look also included grace and compassion to say, Peter, you've always had this in you. But Jesus had already told him. Jesus had already predicted it. And he said in Luke 22, he said, but Peter, after you denied three times that you've known me, he says, Peter, when you've turned again, 
That word turned again is the same idea that we talk about when people talk about we repent of our sins. It means that we're going the wrong direction and there comes a moment where we choose to turn towards him, away from our sins and walk towards him. And Jesus says to Peter, you're gonna deny three times that you know me. And Peter's like, no, 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 it would never happen. And yet Jesus says, it's gonna happen. But when once you've turned again, Peter, strengthen your brothers. And the same Peter that failed probably greater than anybody in this room or watching online could ever imagine denying Jesus three times in his presence, turns his life around, is filled by the spirit of God himself and Acts preaches his first sermon and over 3000 people gave their hearts and lives to Jesus. And so if you're in the trial, and you feel like, man, there's no hope, remember, this is not your home. You can develop a faith that's your own. Trials are gonna happen, but you can still live intentionally. To everybody that's been through a trial and you feel like maybe you've blown it and you feel like there's no hope and there's no help, would you be reminded that this is not your home, that you can develop a faith that's your own, that trials, yes, they're gonna come, but you can still live intentionally because if Peter could turn around I guarantee you any one of us can if we submit to him. So I'd love to pray for us this morning and I'd love to pray for what God wants to do in and through this season. What an unusual year it's been, but can you imagine if we go into the holidays celebrating that the reason why we can turn again, the reason why we can know this earth is not our home is because it started with Jesus as a baby in the manger, but it ended with Jesus on the cross rising again from the dead. This is the reason we can have hope in trials. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the power of your word and the encouragement of your spirit. Father, I pray for anybody that doesn't know you, that today they would come to know you as their savior and Lord. And Father, for those that know you, but they've been drifting and they've been walking away, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use whatever it takes to draw them back to you. In fact, as we pray in the room and even online, if there's never been a moment that you've said yes to Jesus, there's nothing magical about the words of a prayer, but it's the heart behind it where we come to him. And you can do it even now in your head and your heart to say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know that my sin separates me from you, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Just tell him that, confess that to him. Would you save me? Would you rescue me? Would you help me to live for you? For any believer that's been walking through a tough season, maybe you wanna pray this part of the prayer with me. Dear Jesus, help me not to get comfortable here. Help me not to coast on somebody else's faith or a faith that's in my past. Help me not to be shocked or rocked by the trials of my life. But God, would you help me to live intentionally for you? Father, help us to live each day walking towards you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's stand together right before we head out today. I've asked Pastor Zach and the team just to lead us in this course again. What a powerful idea that for us to build this, to live this out but we're so grateful you're here. If there's any way we can join you in praying for anything that you're walking through, 
there's two major ways you could do that. One is to simply drop us an email at prayer at sugarhillchurch.com, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. We would love to, to know that and be able to pray for you. But right in front of me is Miss Nancy Simber. Do you mind giving us a little wave out? Miss Nancy is part of our prayer team. And uh, we've got a group of folks that pray every single Sunday and pray every single week and every single day. But if you ever find yourself in a place where you need prayer, even today, I know Miss Nancy and some of the team would love to be able to pray for you. Do you still go outside to the pergola or out to the lobby, Just straight out to the lobby? And so uh, if you'd like prayer today, we'd love to be able to pray with you and for you as well. But we love you guys. We're so grateful that you're part of the season with us. I hope many of you will come to our next membership class next week at 11. And I hope many of you really will pray about starting a group where you just gather three or four other couples or friends and say, hey, let's intentionally once a month or twice a month in the new year. Let's get together. Let's grow together. Let's develop our faith together. Pastor Zach, thanks for leading us so well today. Would you lead us out today? Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Come to call It's that